All right, as they depart, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in a Bible. Whether you have that on an electronic device or a print form, if you are using one of our Pew Bibles, I invite you to turn to page 871 if you're looking for where we're going to be. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 28, although we're going to be looking at the entire chapter today. And this is a part of our series on growing up. As I shared last week, you know, uh, growing up is a pretty natural activity and it's one of those things that's that's called for in our life, that we're meant to grow as we live. Uh, If something that was alive was not growing, we would, we would find that disconcerting. We would find something that's, that's just not right. We would, if it was our child and something was not growing right, we would, we would go to a doctor. We would look for the help that we need and we would more than likely listen to the prognosis that's given to us. If you were growing a garden, uh, that is not really me. I'm not a garden-type growing person. My, my daughter likes growing a garden. But I have a tendency to uh, kill plants. But if I was very serious about it, I would probably go to someone who knew a thing or two, who had what we call a green thumb that, that can grow things in a very well way. And we would look for them and, and find the prognosis. And if we were real serious, we'd want to put that into play. If we were looking to grow our finances... And maybe that's not been an area of good help in our life, uh, a good health-wise. We'd probably go to someone that, that we could look back and say, look, they've, they've been very good with that. They've had an integrity and, and what wisdom, and I would probably listen to their prognosis. I probably wouldn't want to go to someone that, that has um, lost several fortunes or kind of like that, thing like that. We would look for ways to implement these tools. We would follow a leader. That's what we would do. We would look for a way to to find someone and then listen to what they say. Namely, because one, we've come to trust who they are. There's something about them in that area, at least, that builds a sense of trust. That we feel like, I have confidence there. You might even call it a step of faith with this person. That I'm willing to take a leap. And because of that, because we have a, a, a trust in who they are, we'll follow where they lead and a little listen a little bit more what they say. This is a part of where we're at with the Growing Up series. You see, we've been looking at, talking about God's authority and, and His commissioning, and we've, we've talked about prayer and, and communicating with Him and studying His Word. But there comes a point of decision, will I follow what has been said to me? Will I follow him who has spoken it to me? And I know, as that video shares, there's all kinds of reasons why we, we kind of push back against that. Maybe there's a sense of distrust and fear, because we just don't really know God that well. Maybe there's a sense of procrastination. I'm one of the biggest procrastinators. I, I'll be honest about that. It's a bad habit in my life. But we sense we can, oh, I can put that off till later. Maybe... Maybe it's a sense of rationalizing and we think, well, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know how that's going to fit with my life here. And I, there are all other kinds of reasons, but once again, it comes down to whether we're going to follow. And today when we get in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, what we're going to see is these disciples are going to follow Jesus to a particular location and they're going to have a particular message sent, spoken to them. And, it, and it's not an easy one. 
Now, we like the ones that are very fluffy, generalized messages from Jesus that we can nod our head and be like, oh, that's easy, I can do that. But the parts where it gets difficult, that's, that's a whole other ballgame. So stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word in Matthew chapter 16. This is a passage I have preached from before, so if you've been here, you might have already noticed and said, hey, Pastor, you've already preached that, you should move on to something else. But God keeps bringing us, returning to certain familiar places so that we can be reminded of who He is and why we must follow. This is verse 13 of chapter 16 from the Word of the Lord. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you... He asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Your Bible may say the Christ. That's the same word. The son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Seems odd. But from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary For him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. And truly I tell you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let us pray. Lord God, this is your word. May we treat it as such. May we be people who have ears and listen, who have eyes and see, who have hearts that are open to, uh, to embrace and know you, to have minds that are able to comprehend you. And when we leave this place today, God, may we've come to a new understanding of you in a way that our hands and our feet and the direction of our lives is pointed after following you in a life of worship because we know how good you are how holy you are, and what you have done so that you may save people like us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So every time we come and, and spend some time together in the Bible, I know that there are often questions when we open up, and, and it's right for us to have questions when we get into the Bible. We need to understand when we open this book and see it for what it is as a gracious gift of God to take time to understand what it says. And not only what it says, but what it means. In other words, what it says was given in a specific time, in a specific place, for a specific reason. And that carries over and the meaning never changes, but it has application to us today. We want to know and look and study that and find out why this book was written. Who, who, who was the person that was authoring it? Obviously, God is the, the, inspire, the inspirer of all scripture, the breather out. But he was using normal men and women to write these, these words. So we need to understand where it comes from so we can understand what it means. And then seeing the meaning, we can apply the significance to us today. We can see, based on where we are in our life, taking that meaning and saying, I see in the, in the rigmarole of my life where that applies. But when it comes to a point, a fellowship. Will we trust what God is saying? And today our aim as we look at the text is that the follower of Jesus is a person that that number one has a transformed heart because of Jesus. They have a transformed heart because of Jesus. And because of that, they're willing, faithfully willing to lead a life of sacrifice in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of themselves, not in the name of their church, not in the name of a denomination, but because their heart has been transformed by Jesus, they're willing to live a life even of sacrifice because of Jesus. They, they've come to that kind of knowledge. And I want to give kind of an explanation of this. Because what's going on in this moment, we're going to see, is it correlates to a lot of where we're at. You see, in a world of opposition, true disciples must realize, we must come to this frank realization that submission to the King Jesus, it will mean following Him, fellowship towards victory. Knowing that, yes, in the end, He wins. Yet, that will be through hardship. We all, I think we all love the fact that we can have an understanding that the Bible at the end tells us that, yes, God wins. God is the overcomer, the victory. But the, the journey between here and there, we must come to an understanding, is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be something that is of minute obstacle. And so let's look at some of the first reasons that people may not seek to follow Jesus. And that's because, number one, the pathway has difficulties. It is a pathway with difficulties. Leading up to this moment in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about a conversation he had had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, whenever we read them in the Bible in the New Testament, many times we look at them and, man, no one wants to be a Pharisee. I mean, I don't think anybody would raise their hand and be like, man, I want to be a Pharisee today. Because read the Bible, that's not usually a good terminology. You'll see them in a good light. But where they started, they had this idea coming out of the Old Testament after the people of Israel had gone into years, decades of exile for abandoning the law of God and worshiping other idols, being an idolatrous people, they began to set up these meeting houses in every village. So that the word of God, that the scrolls that had the Old Testament would be read and they could pray there and instruct one another how to hold dear to this. 
And this became the rise of the Pharisees, that they were so dedicated and their rabbis were such so knowledgeable that they began being serious about what was written to the point that it moved from being obedience towards God. While that was the intention, it moved towards a, an obedience towards legalism, that, that God owes me something because I'm keeping these rules. And not only keeping these rules that he said, but I'm making rules on top of what he said, so I won't disobey the rules he said, and I also won't disobey the rules I've said about the rules he said. Clear, right? But that's what religion is. That's what, how religion can lead away into a place that is not healthy. If it's based purely on I need to have these higher thoughts and follow these higher ways so that I can have a higher standing with a higher say. What ends up elevating me and my pride to a higher place gets me away from God. Because I've made it about my status and my position. And while the Pharisees had good intentions to begin, they they begin missing out. and, And it begins wreaking havoc in their life. The Sadducees were a little bit more of the aristocratic people they had a lot of the means and power and position in the in the nation and holding on to that it was hard for them to see why they needed the ultimate authority of god in their life i mean sure they wanted to have the the pleasantries and the festivals and and those acknowledgments but all that had also sown a terrible place in their life where they had distanced themselves from actually knowing god they knew things about god but they didn't know God. So where the Pharisees are trying very hard to be just absolutely pleasing and not disappoint God, the Sadducees had gotten to the point where, well, they wanted the things of God, but they didn't want God himself. And Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about meaning of life and how to read the signs of the times and what different things have mean. There, there's been questions that they're trying to understand Jesus, but here's the pathway of the difficulties. Sometimes we wonder, why can't someone just turn their life around and follow Jesus? You ever wonder that? Why, why can't they just have that eureka moment and just turn around? Well, it's a pathway of difficulty because here's the thing. The world, until it comes to a place where it sees Jesus for who He is and what He has done, it remains blind to his truth. It reminds, remains blind there. There's this veil that is kept between. And Peter and the disciples are, are hearing about this from Jesus. But here's the thing. The disciples are also people with Jesus that have been spending the last three years with him. And they're also wondering, what's going on? I, I don't understand this conversation you're having with me, Jesus. I want to tell you something. We will always, always, no matter how close we ever get to God, we will never be able to fully comprehend every single detail about God. There are going to be limitations. We are not going to have that perfection this side of heaven. Nor are we given the capacity to. Why? Because if we were able to put God in a box and say, I know all the things, the the, the depths, the heights, the widths, all of it, the volume of God, we were to say, I can have it all figured out. Here's what happens. I have now elevated myself to bigger than God. I know more than he does. I've got him figured out. 
And so the disciples have this point that their struggle of following Jesus in this direction is, is a part of, I feel like I have to know it all to follow it all. You ever felt like that? Ever been a place like that in your life? And then you beat yourself up because you're like, well, I must be stupid or something. Because, I mean, it seems like this person gets it, but I don't get it. There's parts of the Bible I read and I'm like, I have to go to find someone far smarter than me that's more experienced than me and say, all right, I don't get this. My limitation is incapacity. But you know what? It's okay to be there. It is okay to be there. Just don't choose to stay there. Believer. It's okay if that's where you found yourself today and you, and maybe you feel like you're getting beat up because, man, am I, I see the mess. And yet, I want to follow, but I just don't understand this. Know that the pathway of following Jesus is going to have limitations. And even as disciples, we're going to experience limitations in our understanding of truth. But as we follow Jesus, we get a greater appreciation for who he is. We get a greater clarity for what he does and what he means. The disciples did not understand everything at this moment, but they were gaining in their knowledge and following the Lord. But let's see what are some other things that we have here. When it comes to following Jesus, what is some things we need to come to an understanding of? It's not only that that there's going to be a pathway with difficulties, but first and foremost, we've got to understand the proclamation of his divinity. That we've got to understand that Jesus is in a whole different distinctive place than we are. He is not our equal. He is not just some quiet dude in a bathrobe that lived 2,000 years ago. He is fully God and fully man. I know, once again, our limitation is hard for us to wrap our mind around that. But that's the point of where Jesus is in this moment. He takes him to the city called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and, and it's a perfect setting for Jesus revealing a little bit more of a clear glimpse about who he is. Because in Caesarea Philippi, let's just say if you were a good Jewish boy, it's not the place you would go. It was a very Gentile heavy area that had all these shrines to these different deities. And it was in the mountains. And as Jesus' disciples are, you know, mostly from a Jewish background, whenever Jesus was setting the direction to go to this place, they were probably like, do you know where he's taking us? What is the deal? That's, that's, we can't go there. What if my mom finds out? That can't be it. But that's where they're going. Because in this place where there's all these polytheistic belief systems, all these philosophies, all these festivals, all these celebrations, all these different offerings, all these different activities that somehow are meant to seem spiritual or sensual or intimate or whatever they may be. And yes, there was a lot of that going on. Jesus is going to elevate that I am far greater than all these and nothing overcomes me. He was going to use that setting as a strategic place. And and here's why we need to know that. God has used certain scenarios and settings in your life to set the point to where He draws your attention, fixes it on Him and says, what are you going to decide? What are you going to do? Who do you say that I am? So there's a setting. But also, there's this scrutiny that comes up. Jesus asked the disciples two pointed and clarifying identification questions. First of all, 
Pretty safe question. Uh, who do you say Jesus is? Who do people say that I am? If we're honest, that's a pretty safe question. I mean, people have all kinds of theories. He's a good teacher. He was a martyr, prophet, um, miracle worker, um, cool dude in a bathrobe, you know, that kind of thing. We People give all these different identities for Jesus. And the disciples answer is, well, some people say that you're like some of the prophets of old. In fact, you may be the incarnation of them, the reincarnation. Once again, there's a little bit of the worldview systems bleeding into even the disciples. But then Jesus asked him a, a different question. He goes, okay, okay. This is what people say to him. Who do you say to him? And that's a, a much more blunt personal question, isn't it? That's, that's where it gets out of the safe zone. Who do we say Jesus is? If he were to ask us that question, how would we respond? Now, one day, the Bible tells us that at, at the ultimate end times, there will be this moment where all of us will stand before the Lord and we will fall to our knees and we will be a part of that every tongue shall proclaim, every knee shall bow that Jesus is Lord. We will recognize Him one day. Every single one of us is going to come to that point. Everyone that's ever lived and everyone that is living and everyone that ever will live will have that moment. That will be a part of the history of God's work. But at that point, we're facing that judgment either after death or after His return. Our point of decision has already been sealed. And in this time, God sets divine appointments so He can ask us that question. Who do you say that I am? Because that is a life-altering question. What we know about Jesus is a life-altering question. So Peter answers, he, he confesses the divinity of Jesus, says you're the, you're the Messiah, in other words, you're the one that was written about, and you're the Son of the living God. You're, you're not only the one that was written about, but God fully dwells in you. And that's a very important statement. In fact, that sets the tone for who we are as a church. You see, the church is a community of people who know Jesus intimately. We have proclaimed our belief of faith from our heart with our lips that Jesus is in fact who He has said He is. Not just who other people's opinion, He's who He claimed to be. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And Jesus, in this statement, He clarifies that this was good. He gives that applaud to, to Peter. Man, don't it be good like have Jesus give you an attaboy? Yeah, man, you got it. Awesome, dude. You got it. But Peter is told by Jesus this. That this is a blessing for you because this does not come around by our own procrastination or fear or rationalization. This is a divine revelation that God Himself makes upon man. That when we come to that moment, recognize that moment of God saying, you realize who I am? That is a gift of my grace to you. That is a work of my love to you. That is a kindness that I have given to you that is divine sent. And do not take it lightly. And do not harden your heart. Do not turn away. Do not run from that. Choose to respond to my gracious revelation to you. See, the true understanding of Christ, it comes not from some kind of human invention where we're like, all right, let me put the details together. Seems like A square and B square are here, so this must be C square. That's not what it is. It's God saying, This is my kindness I'm showing to you. And every time God puts a person 
to witness the glory of Jesus to another person. It's a gift of His grace. So we should never take lightly our task to share that. This is a part of our calling. And then Jesus speaks some news about the church in verses 16 through 20. He says, this is something that you need to understand. First of all, we see how Peter had an understanding of Jesus and Jesus clarified, yeah, that's right on the money. That is right there because it's a gift of my work to you. We as a church need to understand what we say about Jesus, who we say he is, it determines everything about how we'll follow him. What we believe and say about Jesus is going to determine everything. This is why this is no small thing for us. This is why worship is not a small thing. This is why giving is not a small thing. It's why praying is not a small thing. It's why learning is not a small thing. It's why spending time in the Word is not a small thing. It's because what we come to realize about Jesus, it changes everything. So anything that deals with Jesus is not a small thing. It's a transformative thing. And the church, as it's intended by the Bible, is not meant to be a a club where there's some people that do good and some people that try to do better. It's a community of people that have come by God's gracious revelation to realize, wow, Jesus, that guy's for real. Because he's God. And I want to follow him. And a community like that who proclaims Jesus confidently. That's who the church is. It's not just, I signed a piece of paper, I like the preacher, they, they dress like I like to like, the music's good. It's, I know who Jesus is and I want to grow with people that know who Jesus is. That kind of message, that kind of community is, it has a Messiah that death cannot stop. It has a message that death cannot unravel. It has a messengers inside of it that death cannot impede. And even though it may cost us our life, if it ever came to that, as it does in many other places throughout the world, death does not impede the message and messengers of Jesus because it cannot impede the Messiah. Death couldn't hold Him. The grave doesn't keep Him. And Christ is the one who's made this all possible because it says He's the one that's given His authority to the church. Think about that. The very authority of Jesus is given to the church. You ever think about the privilege that that means that you hold, that you and I wield together? That seems like a kind of a big deal. Not to be taken lightly either. That we get to speak, when we speak of God's Word, when we speak of, of the Messiah, we speak with the very authority of Christ. Now, this is not meant to besmirch anyone who may come from a different viewpoint or background here. Because I know that in the Midwest, this is a little different from where I grew up in the South. And in the South, it was a very oddity to find uh, a Roman Catholic church. It was. It was just odd. Or, or a Lutheran church. It just Most of them were Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever. But that's not why I'm saying this. It's not my frame of reference or where I come from. Some people will read this and they'll say, oh, wow, Jesus set up a lineage through Peter to have a leadership. And it's not about a pope. It's not about the the power wielded in one person. It is about the authority that is given to the church. Why is such authority given to the church a big deal? It's not because of any one person that is exceptional or gifted. It is because in the church there has been made known that there is a sovereign Savior. He is the one 
true king forever. It is because there is a non-negotiable declaration that there are those who bow the knee and profess with their lips that Jesus alone is Lord. And it is because of an invincible mission that we are to go out and not even the gates of hell prevail against the message of Jesus. This is the authority that's spoken of here. It is not some kind of lineage that's, that's meant to be on display. And so we don't want you to bash people that come from a different perspective. Maybe that's where they were raised. But we need to see clearly what the Scripture says and follow it because it is the authority given to us by the Lord. And it's the proclamation that over and over and over emphasizes Jesus is Lord. He is the King. He is who He says He is. But the question remains, where have you come to that point on your decision? Who do you say He is? Do you say He is exactly who He says He is? Or do you try to cram it into something else that, that maybe you feel like you can try to control? Or you can try to define? And, and where you feel like, I, I, I can't allow Jesus to be bigger than me and have authority over me. i got to be bigger than Him. Don't try to do that. Because that was a place and a role that we as created beings were never intended to inhabit. We are created by a Creator. And that Creator loves us enough to say, this is who I am. Please listen. Learn. See my love so that you may live. And follow after me. And that's a picture that's on display here in the Gospel. After this moment of Jesus talking about the very authority that's in His name, the proclamation of His divinity. You see this picture on display, and, and man, it gets dark. It gets dark real quick. All of a sudden, Jesus is giving the attaboys. He's applauding Peter. going like, yeah, that's it. And it, then it gets dark. From then on, it says, He went on to point out to His disciples that it was necessary, it was a must for Him to go to Jerusalem. It was a must for him to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. It was a must for him to die. It was a must for him to be raised. It was absolutely necessary. You see, there's this picture on display where Jesus begins saying, well, before it happens, this is the plan. And this is not just something that kind of sprung and happened to Jesus. This was the plan from the beginning. This was a plan that was spoken 700 years by the prophet Isaiah that said that, that, that the suffering servant would go and, and by his stripes the world would be healed. That he would be beaten and stricken and afflicted so that we may be saved. See, what happened to Jesus wasn't just a matter of happenstance where he was like the wrong guy at the wrong time and in the wrong place. It was a part of God's divine promise. In other words, this is a divine imperative. It was stated from the beginning that, that from the fall of the first man and woman that, that God was going to send someone and though the enemy would strike his heel, he would crush its head. And from then on began promises, promises, promises so that when the Messiah came, we could clearly see this is Jesus. And Jesus clarifies this is the must. It is going to happen. It is the plan, the plan that's been there from all along. But like most mankind, we don't like the plan sometimes. We presume to tell God, well, you should do it this way. You know, if I had my way, God, I think you should have done this. You know, in this part of history, maybe you should have done this. 
Once again, trying to think that we have a brighter mind than the Lord. And Peter says, no, 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 no. This ain't never happened to you. Nope, 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 nah. Not going to happen. He presumes to rebuke Jesus. Now, here's the point where I want to stop for a moment. We can look at Peter with like, boy, you stupid. Why'd you do that? But I think we'd have to hold up a mirror. Because I do that. I think we'd all have to hold up a mirror because we do that. We presume to tell Jesus what we think is best. Instead of listening to the love and the infinite grace of Him. But Jesus' protests, He reproofs Peter's presumption. He goes from the attaboy, you got it, to this is of the devil. This is, this is a work of the enemy for you to even say such a thing. And this is the principle behind that protest. What you're thinking about is man's concerns over God's concerns. And let me tell you, Jesus saying that is a work of the devil to think that my men's concerns over his God-ordained concerns Try as I may try to justify it, try as I may to make it work out and pan out in my, my favor. That's a work of the enemy. That's a work of the fallenness of our world. To try to put something as, even as we think is significant over God's concerns. When God is the one who says, I have steered the ship. I, I've rigged the game. It's all going to be in my favor. The victory is coming out of my way. Will you trust my journey? You see these principles at work. But then you also see, lastly, some paradox that's here. It just doesn't seem to make very much sense to us. It seems so counterintuitive. It seems like this would be completely out of rationale. That goes to that point of why we don't follow Jesus sometimes, because, well, it just doesn't seem to make sense that He would say that a part of your life is going to be winning by losing. You're going to lose self. A part of it is going to be living by dying. That, that, that if you're going to fully live, you're going to have to die to the ways that you've normally lived. It's going to be gaining by giving. It's going to be saving by, by sacrificing. Not because you're willing, to, you're able, or even if you were willing or able, you're not, to pull yourself up by your own bootstrap and say, well, if I just do a bunch of different things, opposite of what I would have normally done, life will turn out right. This is not an episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza says, well, I just must be doing things wrong. Let me order the tuna salad instead of the egg salad. That's not what this is about. Some of you are like shaking your head. You're like, I don't even know what that's about. No. It is about seeing that in our need and desire for control and self-sufficiency, there is what Jesus is pointing out for us to listen to is this. Trust and obey. It's trust and obey. That when the rubber meets the road, will you follow? And will that following be me? Or will it be man's concerns? Your own concerns. Because if it's following me, something's going to die. And yet something's going to live. That's why... The Apostle Peter says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That doesn't seem like a nice way to live. But that's what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. 
And yet not I live. But Christ, who loves me, and who gave Himself for me, He lives in me. That is the defining difference. This paradox. When Jesus says, if anyone's going to follow after me, after He's told Peter, your concerns were for man and not from God. But here's where it comes down. If you're going to do this, if you're going to walk with me and, and walk the way of faith, it's going to look like this. First of all, you're going to decide to follow me. And following me means not following a lot of others. You're going to take the decision to deny yourself. The book of Luke, whenever he records this, Luke's listening to the apostles that Jesus said, deny yourself daily. Not just a Sunday morning decision, but an every day, every minute decision. That the seriousness of it is not only denying yourself daily, but it's taking up your cross. It's being willing to say, yet not I live, but Christ lives within me. And it's going to be once again turning back to follow me. If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would follow me, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. It's always going to come back to our you following Jesus. And today, in this moment, it may come to a point where you need to have a definitive moment with the Lord. A definitive, decisive moment. First of all, who do you say that Jesus is? Because that, that decision in itself defines every other one. And once that's clarified, okay, you know who Jesus is. Will you follow what Jesus that is a question I must wrestle with every single day. And I will tell you over, hand over foot, many times I get it wrong. But because of grace, because of the gospel, because of God's glorious plan, I get to stand before you again and say, but that's not the aim. And I want to follow him. And I'm asking, will you follow him with me? Because he loves us so much. Because he is the only king forever. And because he has made the way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, I thank you for this crowd who has persisted, though uh, 70-something degree weather inside of a room is probably not the worst conditions we could have ever faced. But um, I thank you because today we've been able to spend time in your word together. And I pray that just as you promised, that would not return void. You, you would have your way in this moment. Show us how we need to take a next step with you, whether that be personally right where we are, or that means taking a step out and, and talking to someone, having questions asked and answered. Whatever it looks like to follow you, Jesus, have your way in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. The music's going to play. I'm going to be up here at the front should you need someone to talk to for counseling. Whatever that decision may be look like. Maybe it's your first step of faith. Maybe it's a next step but we're making ourselves available. You follow and take this time as the music plays to respond to what God would say for you to do.